So the scenario is that we have a 47-year-old homeless woman um, who has been brought in by an ambulance. She was found on the street outside the station, unkempt. Um, she is a frequent flyer to ED and is a known IVDU. Um, when she came in, she was found to have vomit on her clothes. Um, she had a low GCS, but has woken up with a bit of naloxone. And the reason that they've called you is the renal reg is because her creatinine um, is 500 on her formal bloods. Um, how would you proceed? Um, right. So um, first of all, I'd like to know um, if there are any sort of acute life threatening abnormalities. So I'd like to know, you know, what the observations are, um, a focused sort of A to E assessment, to see if there's anything uh, immediately life threatening, such as low oxygen saturations, obstructed airway, hyperventilation or evidence of shock or, or um, arrhythmia. Um, if any of those things are present, then um, while I'm on my way down there, I'd ask that the ED team um, address those life-threatening uh, things immediately. Um, and I'd also like to know specifically why they want to call me um, as the renal reg. So you mentioned there's a crackling of, of 500. Um, that is high and is likely to be an acute kidney injury. So I don't know what her baseline is, but um, you know it's unlikely that anyone's baseline would be... Yeah, um, so her baseline creatinine is 100, and that was six months ago. Okay. And, okay, so it was 100 six months ago. It's now 500. It is theoretically possible that someone could have a baseline creatinine of 500, but that's very high, really, and those kind of patients are sort of um, uh, at the point when, if they were suitable for dialysis, they probably would be initiating dialysis. So um, there's nothing in between. It's just a creatinine of 100. Uh, six months ago so we'd have to assume really that this is uh, an acute kidney injury and treat it as such uh, and then go uh, along the way of kind of working out uh, what the cause could be and simultaneously uh, treating any causes so um, do we know any other um, background for this lady in terms of past medical history or medication um, when you have a look in the notes um, you found that she's previously been seen <coughs> in the um, drug and alcohol dependency clinic and she is noted to have a past medical history of hypertension. Her regular medications include amlodipine 10 milligrams and she's also on methadone variable dose. Um, you also note in the letters that um, she's been engaging in high risk behavior as she is a sex worker in the local area. Okay, uh, thanks very much for that. And, and in terms of her observations, do we have any initial observations? So observations show a temperature of 38, a heart rate of 102, a respirator of 15 with SATs of 98%, and blood pressure is 98 over 65, and she's alert on the AVPU scale. Excellent. So, um, so with those observations, she's she's a known hypertensive, uh, and yet she is hypotensive at the moment. So, uh, this is this is concerning, uh, especially in the context of fever and tachycardia. Um, this would most likely be compatible with a sort of septic picture. Um, so, I'd like to um, ensure that um, an infection screen has been carried out. So, um, urine samples sent off, blood cultures, chest X-ray. Uh, and then I'd like to take a focused uh, history and focused examination, looking uh, in particular for any um, source of infection. So 
things that I'd be thinking about would be, um, you know, chest listening, if there's any bronchial breathing, reduced breath sounds or um, crepitations that would be uh, indi indicative of chest infection. Uh, listening uh, to the heart, listen for any murmurs, which might be indicative of endocarditis. Uh, looking for peripheral stigmata of endocarditis, such as splint hemorrhages, chain releases, and osseous nodes. Um, abdominal examination, again, looking for any intra-abdominal source of sepsis, uh, cholangitis, uh, feeling for splenomegaly, which can be associated with infection, including endocarditis, uh, or you know, lower abdominal tenderness, which might be associated with UTI. Um, okay. And then all signs of CNS infection, neck stiffness, photophobia, um, rash, uh, spinal tenderness, which could be associated with discitis, uh, and looking at the joints and soft tissues. Um, Okay, yeah. so on your examination, you find that chest is clear. Um, on auscultation of a heart, she has a pansystolic murmur in the precordium, which does not radiate. Um, she her abdomen soft, non tender. She has no bony tenderness, no neck stiffness. She's currently negative, no photophobia. Um, but you do note um on soft tissue examination that she has what looks to be an abscess in her right groin. Okay, so uh, in the context of um, a known intravenous drug user, um, she's been uh, obviously injecting into the groin. That area now looks infected. My concern would be that this um, is the source of infection, but the infection may have seeded potentially to one of the heart valves. Um, so right-sided um, tricuspid endocarditis is not uncommon in intravenous drug users. Um, although she's clinically septic I wouldn't I'd like to get some cultures but not delay starting antibiotics um, and at this point just thinking a bit more about the causes of acute kidney injury uh, and how we manage things going forward it would be useful uh, to know what's on the urine dipstick see if there's any uh, evidence of blood or protein um, and to commence uh, resuscitation being guided by specific endpoints such as um, you know, looking for improvements in hemodynamic status or uh, in biomarkers such as lactate. So given that she's hypotensive and tachycardic, it'd be reasonable to uh, administer a bolus fluid challenge and also to try and gauge um, while she's in the department, you know, if she's passing urine. Uh, and at this point, hopefully we'll have some of the other blood tests back, including a blood gas and some of the other uh, hematology and biochemistry. Okay, so... You managed to get a uh, sample of urine which shows four plus blood and three plus protein. Um, you get your first initial bloods back. pH is 7.36 with a bicarbonate of 22. PCO2 is 4.5. Um, glucose is normal. Lactate is 2. Um, you then get some more formal bloods back which show white cell count of 14. Stable hemoglobin. Eosinophils are 0.1. Um, creatinine is 500, urea 18, with a safe potassium of 4.1. CRP is 120. Looking at the LFTs, ALT is 150, ALP 130, Billy is 12, CK is 100, and Albion is 31. Okay, so... Um, it's good that the, to know the CK is not elevated because um, that would be one concern in a differential of someone found on the floor being a rhabdomyolysis and subsequent acute kidney injury. Uh, she's got blood and protein on the uh, dipstick, which could go with an intrinsic renal cause such as a glomerular nephritis or vasculitis. 
So I'd like to send off the appropriate test to look for those. So um, I'd like a quantification of the urine protein uh, with a urine um, albumin to creatinine ratio and urine, and urine protein to creatinine ratio as well as sending urine microscopy off casts. I'd then like to send off ANA, ANCA, uh, complement, uh, anti-GBM, rheumatoid factor, immunoglobulins and serum-free light chains, hepatitis B, C um, and HIV. Um, um, also, I note that uh, her, her um, liver function is slightly deranged with a transaminitis. So again, this could go with the viral hepatitis in the context of intravenous drug use. So uh, getting those uh, tests sent off uh, is particularly important. Um, it would be worth uh, keeping a close eye on the urine output um, over the next few hours. So, you know, a urinary catheter uh, may be warranted. Um, particularly if we're concerned that this might be sort of oligonuric um, okay. acute kidney injury. And um, also other things to note, uh, the potassium is currently safe. There's no um, acid-based disturbance that would particularly worry me at this stage. And um, I think she was a bit anemic, HB was at 95. Um, so again, that could go with sort of um, subacute uh, infective process or inflammatory process such as vasculitis or um endocolitis and the eosinophil count is not raised um if it was raised i might consider something like an interstitial nephritis um, although it's you know it doesn't rule it out the fact that it's not raised but it's just um, something to note yeah. um so what's your main differential here you mentioned uh, different things and highlighted a few abnormal blood tests but what are you thinking is going on so I think it's um, a good way of approaching this would be uh, to consider pre-renal causes uh, such as hypovolemia in the context of someone uh, who's had a long, uh, possibly a long lie with high insensible losses from fevers and vomiting. Uh, it would also be worth considering uh, sepsis, which um, although is classically thought of as a pre-renal AKI, also we know now from um, studies that it has an in intrarenal component as well, so a renal component. Um, the, the sepsis could be, if there is sepsis, could be from soft tissue infection or endocarditis, uh, or potentially from an aspiration pneumonia or pneumonitis. Um, it's also worth considering whether she has a glomerulonephritis secondary to either viral hepatitis, um, HIV, or some components um, of uh, drugs such as levimazole, which can cause vasculitis, um, and certain drugs such as heroin can cause a mesangial capillary glomerulonephritis uh, as well. Uh, and then you can also get um, glomerulonephritis associated with uh, particular soft tissue infections such as staphylococcus. And then it would be useful to get some urinary tract imaging, um, particularly if she's, if she's um, not passing any urine. Um, I think uh, at the front door, a bladder scan and palpation of the abdomen is a reasonable start. Mm -hmm. uh, and if someone could do ultrasound, that's good. But um, you'd want some more form formal imaging when you can um, to exclude, uh, exclude obstructive causes. Okay, um, so skip forward, we're six hours later, you still haven't got any urine output. You only had that marginal, maybe 80 mils at the beginning. Um, so six hours later, no urine output. This is despite five litres of IV fluid. Um, she's also now got an oxygen requirement. Um, she's on three litres of oxygen and saturating 92%. You do a repeat gas because you're concerned and find that she has a potassium of 6.8. You quickly ask for an ECG, which shows hyperkalemic changes um, in the context of no urine output. How do you proceed? 
Um, so this lady, first of all, um, is very sick and it's important to recognise that straight away. So she's gone from having no oxygen requirement to being in a grossly positive fluid balance um, with an oxygen requirement and um, aneuric acute kidney injury uh, with uh, hyperkalemia. So uh, it is extremely unlikely this lady will be able to escape without um, renal replacement therapy. Uh, and the thing that really uh, is key here is urine output and you know if someone's urine output is higher then you've got a greatest degree of control of the situation because you can you know manipulate that to help potassium excretion etc but here she's anuric she's had a lot of fluid she's not getting rid of the fluid she's retaining it so um, and the most important thing to do first of all is to make her safe so that would be instituting emergency um, hyperkalemia management, so um, some calcium, so either calcium chloride or calcium gluconate, whatever you've got, uh, and you can repeat that until the ECG normalizes. We can place her on um, the uh, so cardiac monitoring, we give her some insulin dextrose. Uh, she may need additional uh, dextrose if her pretreatment glucose is low. Um, we can now uh, potentially consider the use of um, potassium binders such as sodium zirconium cyclosilicate. Um, uh, high dose subutamol nebulizers can be used. Um, so these are all measures, um, they're all holding measures to make her safe. In the meantime, um, the one thing I would like to do once we've got her safe, if possible, um, is get some urgent urinary tract imaging because if she's got a treatable uh, cause like an obstruction, then that may be able to be relieved. But you know, when the potassium is that high, you know, you might need to initiate renal replacement therapy first in real terms. So it depends how quickly you can get all of these things done. I and mean, the priority has to be stabilize the myocardium, make her safe, um, and then liaise with uh, critical care. Because to be honest, um, she, uh, particularly when she came in, she was borderline hypotensive. So may not be able to tolerate intermittent hemodialysis with that blood pressure. Um, if her blood pressure was a bit better, then she may well be able to have a hemodialysis, but, um, I think in any case, this lady is very unwell and it's probably worth uh, liaising with uh, critical care early uh, to make them aware. Um, and one last thing, what would you do with her methadone? So, um, I mean, this, this lady's um, methadone was presumably dosed on her normal renal function or, or what was assumed to be her normal renal function. Um, she is now in a state of uh, anuria with a stage three uh, or presumed stage three acute kidney injury, I suppose. It's stage three definition, by definition once she starts on renal replacement therapy. Um, so we'll need to think very carefully about what to do with that dose. It's likely to need a very large um, cut in the dose. So, um, but I would, I would consider how she goes over the next few hours, um, look at the renal drug handbook, consult the sort of renal pharmacists and, and consider what kind of dose um, reduction we need. But I think that, the greater harm is more likely to come from giving her too much rather than too little. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Thank Thanks. You.